Welcome back to another episode of the Educational AD Podcast. We couldn't do these without the incredible support of our sponsors, and we want to take a moment to say thank you to all of them. First, thanks to our diamond sponsor, Varsity Brands, including BSN, Varsity Spirit, and Herf Jones. Varsity Brands, elevating student experiences in sport, spirit, and achievement. We also want to thank our great platinum sponsors, including Ephesus Lighting, innovating a brighter future at every level. Camp Mobile, where leaders communicate better. Hometown Ticketing, simple and easy online ticketing. Gipper, sports graphics made incredibly simple. And Vital Signs, bring student achievements to life. Thanks to all of our great sponsors. Welcome back, everyone, to another episode of the Educational AD Podcast. We're staying right here in Tallahassee, Florida today, and we've got a real treat. We're going to talk with Dr. Tim Baghurst. Tim is a professor of education at Florida State University, and he's also the director of the Florida State University Center for Coaching, which uh, creates and provides a curriculum for the master's degree in coaching. He's also a published author, a sought-after lecturer. Uh, Dr. Baggers, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Appreciate it. Well, uh, you were generous enough to have me on your uh, program uh, several months ago. Uh, and now that we kind of have our feet on the ground with our podcast, we wanted to return the favor. So we always like to let our listeners have a chance to get to know our guests. So tell us a little bit about yourself, where you grew up, where you went to school, and and maybe how this love of sports led to the position you're currently at. Sure. Well, I'll try and keep it short so that we, we don't bore everybody listening to my history. But I, I grew up around the world and actually didn't move to the U.S. until 2004. Uh, got a variety of degrees in sports science, kinesiology, sports administration, eventually getting my doctorate in physical education, pedagogy. That translated into me becoming a, an assistant professor of PE. I worked at Henderson State University in Arkansas, University of Arkansas as well, before moving to Oklahoma State University, where I was for seven years, uh, working in the PE program and eventually uh, taking over that program and then building a coaching program out of that as well. So we saw the need in Oklahoma because the, the standards in Oklahoma were very weak for coaches in schools, pretty much warm body, have heard of sports before, you'll be good. And that really, really bothered me, as you can imagine, it was just some of the things that were happening. So I proposed we develop a, a coaching minor uh, at the university, which was approved, and, and that was successful. And then we actually developed a, a major, a full major in coaching. And then just before I left, we had an option in the master's program as well for, for coaching. Um, moving here, though, was I wanted a new challenge. I wanted to take on something new. Sure, we have coaching education programs and at Oklahoma State, but the idea of building a center dedicated to coaching was, was something that universities don't have right now. So we're the first, and I'm, I'm very proud of that, to, to really say, how can we help the community at large rather than just offering coach education programs, which we obviously do, how can we also help sports organizations? How can we help coaches out in, in the real world working? How can we give them best practices, research-based evidence, and, and really help in any way we can, which I think is a responsibility of universities to really give back to the community at large. So here we are, we're, we're almost two years into this. We developed the center from scratch. We developed a graduate certificate in coaching from scratch, that's four classes. Uh, which is online. And then the master's degree just actually will be starting this summer with the first group. And that's 10 classes. And that's also offered online. Well, that's got to be exciting to be there at the, uh, you know, the creation and watch that program. Yeah, grow. Absolutely. Yeah. What, um, you know, coming from, you know, the complete program at Oklahoma State and now starting from the very beginnings at Florida State, 
Um, what has been uh, different? What's been better uh, as far as the two experiences? Uh, you know, has your experience you know helped in creating this new uh, initiative? It's a good question. You know, every as any coach or athletic director will know, you know, going from school to school, school has its idiosyncrasies or policies that are slightly different or or rules that, that might, well, this is how we did it kind of thing. You know, you're moving not only from a one college to another college, but also a, a very different area. You know, this is the first time I've lived on the East Coast and, and Florida is very different, Oklahoma to Arkansas, Texas, and you name it. One of the, the neat things about coming here is that the center we created isn't in a department. And so what that means is that we can pull in resources, expertise from a variety of departments to meet the mission of the center. So typically what happens when you, let's say you take a degree of some kind at a university, whether it be sport management or sports side, you name it, the, the people in that faculty tend to have expertise in a very small area of that discipline we can pull those people in for, hey, we need, you know, somebody comes in, we need expertise on X, Y, and Z. Well, Tim doesn't know that stuff because Tim wasn't trained in that, but I know where to get it. And I can go over to that department and ask for help. So that's a real strength of, of our program in the center, understanding that, that we can go and, and really facilitate interdisciplinary support rather than this is what we know, this is the only things we teach, uh, don't ask us about anything else. It, it really is how do we help the person with what they need, even when we have to put up our hand and say, you know what, I don't really have the answer for that, but I know somebody who does. Yeah, it's got to be great to be in that university setting and uh, again, have those immediate contacts, but I know you also uh, have a, a lot of professionals from around the country, around the world mm -hmm. that uh, you've had on your program. Uh, I want to give you a chance to talk about the program, but before we do, um, in our uh, profession, if you will, we always talk about the importance of leadership and particularly mentorship. So I'm curious, um, who are some of your mentors growing up? Uh, maybe teachers or coaches you might have had or uh, people that you've worked with or worked for. Uh, the expression I like to use is, I still hear those voices in my head. So uh, whose voice do you still hear? Yeah. It's a terrible question, Jake. I hate this question because it's the one that you get asked in interviews, right? And, and then you're supposed to come up with this great answer. And I, I shocked a group once when I interviewed and just said, I, I, I didn't really have great people to model. Even when I played sports, oh, you must've had great coaches if you wanted to go into coach education. No, I had terrible coaches. That's why I wanted to go into coach education because of the things I experienced and and left me in, you know, psychologically difficult situations, or maybe I didn't have the skills that, that I really should have because the coach didn't know how to train me. That's why I went into coaching. That being said, of course, there's still people who, who have made an impact and um, I'm not going to name names, but, but one of them in particular was, was very memorable, not necessarily because of that one-on-one -on -one mentorship all the time, but because they recognized the work that I did. And I had, I'd spent many years, you know, working. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm in my 40s. I've been working for 20 years. Many years where you're doing a job, you're working very hard, and it's, it's almost just, that's your job. Just do it. Well, I'm internally motivated. I'm going to keep working hard, whether I get credit or not. But this person was the first person to say, hey, uh, send a little note through the mail. I saw you in the newspaper the other day. I'm so proud of you. Or I really, I saw that publication that, that came out in such and such journal. That's awesome. Keep up the good work. Those were the little things that really made a difference for me and also made me more committed to, you could say, defending that person when maybe somebody was criticizing, well, that they don't understand this policy except X, Y, and Z. I'm, I'm more likely to defend that person because they are defending or supporting me. So, so from a leadership perspective, recognition, even if it's nothing tangible, can go a, a huge way in encouraging somebody to, to commit to the job that they're doing. And 
you know, I've, I've, I've interviewed for a variety of leadership positions and I'm in one now and I oversee faculty and, and I have responsibilities such as that. And when we look at why do people stay in positions, it's not, it's not because of the salary. In fact, if you look at Gallup polls, it's not because of how much they make. Should they make enough? Yes. But is it how much they make? No. It's the fact that they enjoy what they do and they're valued and they have hope in what they're doing. So there's some tangible benefit from coming from that so that they wake up in the morning and say, I get to go to work this morning, as opposed to, man, I have to go to work this morning. I wish I didn't. That's, that's what creates turnover. You create turnover and then you have problems because you're trying to rebuild a culture. You've got financial challenges because that person's leaving. Now you've got to spend money to rehire them. And it, and it all comes down to, are you making the people that you work with or who work under your jurisdiction, are you, making them, are you making them feel appreciated? And you can make them feel appreciated in very small ways that mean a lot. You know, I'm, I'm so glad that you shared that aspect uh, of mentoring. You know, some people, uh, their purpose in life is to serve as a poor example, you know, for others. Uh, and I can remember like it was yesterday, I had a, a coach in junior high and didn't like him. In fact, you would probably say he was a mean coach, but never once did it occur to me, oh, I'm going to quit or, or I don't like this guy. And, and I'm not, you know, I wasn't, I don't, I, I don't think I could articulate this as a ninth grader, but I, I wasn't going to let uh, somebody else define me as, you know, a person I loved his basketball. I love playing basketball and, you know, I don't care who the coach was, I was going to play. And so, uh, of course, we want our coaches to be nurturing and uh, teachers and educators. But, you know, when a parent says, you know, my child doesn't like the coach, I'm going, so what? You know, uh, as long as the coach is doing a good job, and I think part of my job is to help that coach do a good job. Um, you know, it's great if they like you, but it, it's not, you know, uh, mandatory for uh, success. So, appreciate it. Yeah, I think we could get into the weeds on that uh, simply because you're right. Not, you don't necessarily have to like the coach, but if you dislike the coach, what's the reason for the dislike? Is it because you're not being selected? Is it because they haven't explained why you're not being selected? Is it a communication issue? Or is it something personal where they demeaned you in front of the other team, the other players? You know, there, there's that, that understanding of why. And the coaches that I had, a lot of them, it was that, that demeaning, that, you know, looking down on you, criticizing you in public made me not want to play for them. And if you, if you look at the statistics where 70% of, of youth are quitting by the ages of 13 and 14, and the, the numbers are, I believe it's 39% for, uh, for girls and 38% for men, state specifically, it's no longer fun. Well, who's in charge of making it fun? The coach, does, it, does fun equal less work? No, and a, a lot of coaches immediately think fun equals less work. No, that's not. That's not what kids want. They want to work. They enjoy work. But can you work in an environment where they, they have fun, right? Make, make the exercises interesting, challenging, as opposed to running laps or, you know, these kinds of typical things that coaches do. And then I would also say, given the podcast that we're on, Jake, I would also say that, that this is a culture-driven thing. And the athletic director is one of those people who drives that culture. Who are they hiring? How are they setting the tone? Are they backing um, the coach when the coach is doing things that they shouldn't be doing? Or are they pulling that coach aside and saying, hey, look, this is what you're doing. This, is, this may be a result or this may be an outcome of this. Can we find a different way to do this? And, and that's that balance of an athletic director supporting the coach, but through that support, providing some education and, and support uh, training too. No, absolutely. You know, it, uh, again, providing that quality experience and, you know, making sure that, you know, we are as, as leaders, you know, supporting those individuals and that they're representing the school uh, in the right way. You know, good stuff. Um, I'm also, um, we've been asking our athletic directors, and I know you're not a school-based AD, but uh, I 
think that whereas we get the athletic directors that have maybe moved on from coaching, you know, you're getting those individuals that are still coaching that have the potential uh, to become athletic directors. So I'm curious about, you know, that journey. Let's go and get into the nuts and bolts of the coaching education program. Um, you know, what are some of the foundations that you build on? You know, what are some of the, you know, outcomes that you're building to yeah. with your students? Yeah, good question. And before I start that, let me say that you recognize the graduate certificate is just those four classes and the masters are those are the 10 classes. And if you go on our website, you can see a breakdown of everything. What we've seen in the graduate certificate is people who are interested in becoming athletic directors are taking the graduate certificate. And they may be getting their master's in sport management or something like that, even their PhD, but they're getting the graduate certificate in, in coaching. Well, why would you do that? And, and the answer that I tell some students who come to see me is, if you're, if you're wanting to be an athletic director, you may never have really coached, right? You may have done some volunteer coaching here and there. You may have never really coached. How then can you understand or empathize with coaches who come with, to you with situations when you've never experienced them? And it goes back to, you know, can, can a coach, does a coach have to be a, a great player in order to coach? The answer is no. But you can learn from those great players if you're not one of those great players so that you can help them when they're in that situation. And I think the same thing with athletic directors. If you don't have some of that coaching experience or you, you haven't been taught how to be a coach, you should get some of that. It's important so that when they those coaches are in your office, you understand a little bit of the situation they're in and can work with them as opposed to, I don't understand this problem. Well, maybe because you haven't been in that situation and understand it. So the graduate certificate is something we've seen some athletic directors or those wanting to be athletic directors taking. Uh, the graduate certificate is four classes. We cover theory and practice of coaching. So we, we talk about uh, you know, the, the 12 to 15 different disciplines that a coach needs to know. So think about that. Most coaches, well, I just need to know my sport, right? Technique of my sport, strategy, strategy of my sport. Yeah, that's about the least of it. And in fact, if you watch some of the interviews of coaches I've done through FSU Coach Live, that's what they talk about the least. What they talk about the most is the other things that come into play, the strength and conditioning, nutrition, biomechanics, safety and well-being, um, sports psychology, all, all these things that working with the media, they all contribute a huge amount to the development of a program and success of a program and athlete. So we, we, we kind of touch on all of those so that the coach coming out of a graduate certificate, maybe they're not an expert in sports nutrition, they understand the basics. And so it's, it's not going to be lost on them when they're traveling and they have to go eat somewhere. And you know, Taco Bell is the only place open, unfortunately. Uh, don't contact me, Taco Bell, for sponsorship. It's not happening, sorry. Uh, but, you know, okay, can we choose the least unhealthy option as opposed to get what you want, you know, because we're in a hurry? Those kinds of things where a coach can understand, okay, these things are better than these, even though they're not best, let's go with these. So, so that's the idea of theory, practice, and coaching. We, we also require them to take philosophy and ethics of coaching. That's important. And why? Because if you type coach scandal in Google, Google, the number next to the number of hits grows and grows and grows every week. And you will almost always find every week something new to read about. We want to make sure that coaches are thinking before situations happen. How do I resolve this situation when, if and when, unfortunately, it does happen? How do we develop a philosophy to, to build a culture to, to ensure that the athletes are getting what I want them to get out of our out of your program? Then uh, right now there's there's a coaching internship or practicum they have to take. If somebody isn't currently coaching, then they're put into a coaching situation and work with a coach. If they're currently coaching, you know your typical high school coach. They continue doing that, but with supervision, with some observations, with some feedback, mentorship, so that they can get better at what they're doing. And then the last one is 
is an elective, but right now we're talking about because of the numbers of applicants that we're getting, we're talking about just moving that into coaching for human performance. So we look at the strength and conditioning side, we look at the nutrition side, you know, how do we, how do we understand these sciences to get the best out of our athletes? So that's the graduate certificate. If somebody decides, you know what, I got my certificate, I want to do the master's, they're allowed to transfer all 12 of those credit hours into the master's. So then they only have six more classes to do before they graduate with their master's. So that's, that's a neat thing. If a coach is, nah, I'm not sure if I want to do the master's, you know what, start with the certificate, then move it on over into the master's if that's what you want to do. So the master's itself, as I mentioned, is 10 classes and, and we really expand it beyond just those four. So we talk about sports psychology, we do motor learning, uh, we look at uh, international coaching. We uh, the, the human performance, as I mentioned, is a required one in the master's. And again, the idea, we're building out a new class, which I've never seen before, that we're, we're tentatively titled, titling Coaching the Athlete 360. What do we see in sports? We see a lot of athletes uh, competing hard, being successful or unsuccessful, learning strategies, uh, learning the sport, but we're not addressing all of the things that go on within the sport or within their lives. And so we see high rates of depression in athletes at all levels, by the way. We, we see some hidden disabilities and impairments that athletes may experience in high. Concussion might be an example. You know, that athlete may not tell the coach, hey, I got my bell rung because I want to play next weekend, or they may have an injury that they're hiding, or they may have a, a disability such as, you know, poor hearing that they don't tell anybody. And because of it, mistakes may happen or the coach doesn't know and can't help that athlete. So we're really looking at how do we, how do we train the coach to help the athlete as a person and not just as a, a an entity that provides me with wins and, and maybe hopefully not losses. That's something I think that's new that I haven't seen in other programs. We, we really built this, this master's from scratch. That's unheard of. Typically what a university does, and Oklahoma State did it when I was there. Oh, you want to create a program. Okay, find classes that exist already, pull them together, call it something, and we'll, we'll, we'll take it. We didn't do that here. We, we literally, I mean, I, I walked into the dean's office with a blank sheet of paper and wrote these classes. These are the classes. I've looked at all the master's programs in the country. These are the classes that we need to be offering. I talked to our advisory board, who are Olympic coaches, co college coaches, pro coaches, um, you name it. Well, what do we need to offer? This is what we need to offer. And so, you know, the, the dean told me at the time, you realize we're going to have to create about seven new classes. Yes, you realize that's going to require financial resources. Yes, I do. Okay, let's talk about it. And here we are, you know, a year later with this master's, with every course in the master's degree has some kind of title in there that includes coach or coaching. This is, this is not a master's for uh, you know, just a general kinesiology master's where, hey, let's just get a bunch of people in and they'll take some classes and we'll call it good. No, we're really, really dedicated to providing the best training for coaches in the country, period. Well, it, it sounds like an incredible program and we'll do this again at the end of the podcast. But Tim, if somebody wanted to reach out to you and uh, pick your brain or even find out more about the program, what's the easiest way for them to get in touch with you? Yeah, email is, is always the best way because a lot of us are working from home still right now. So email is tbaghurst, just my first initial last name at fsu.edu. And the website is fsu-coach. Oh, I see now you, you threw me under, you set me up for this. Let me just double check. Yeah, fsu-coach.fsu.edu. And all the information about our center and their graduate certificate and master's are on there. Okay. Well, again, uh, I, I encourage our listeners to check that out. Um, Tim, one of the things we like to do with our podcast, I know you do too, is 
share uh, what we call best practices. So, you know, from the coaching, you know, AD school perspective, you know, you've had a chance to, you know, see, you know, I think all ranges of programs. Um, what's a couple of best practices that you have seen and that you think are um, readily um, reproducible for uh, a coach or an AD that's listening? Um, can you share a couple? Yes. When, when we talk about coaching, how do you know if somebody's a good coach? And, and I'm not going to ask you to answer that because it's a complicated answer. And because everybody will have their own opinion on what a coach, good coach is. In the U.S. system, we typically assume it's based on winning, wins and losses, right? If a coach is, is winning, we're successful. If they're losing, there must be something wrong. When in reality, a, a great coach may be unsuccessful because of the talent they have available, but they're developing quality people who go on to become quality citizens. And that in itself could be argued as a great coach. So when we talk about coaches, how are they evaluated? And everybody seems to have their own opinions on this. There doesn't seem to be any consensus about evaluations. Typically, an athletic director will evaluate the coach based on maybe some player evaluation given at the end of the season. You know, did you work well with your coach? Did you, you know, did you treat your coach treat you fairly? All these things. But there, is that a really good way of evaluating the coach when maybe the player is, I'm not going to say anything bad about my coach because if it comes back, I'm not going to get to play. So I'm going to say all kinds of nice things. Same similar situation to student evaluations in college. They're, they exist, they provide some data, but they're not really effective. What I would encourage athletic directors to do is develop, shoot, don't, don't just develop, contact me, I'll, I'll help. Come up with a system for really evaluating your coach. Um, observe them. Have you ever been there and watched practices? Whether they know or don't know you're there, listen to the way they treat their athletes. Are they critical? Are they encouraging? Do they run a, a practice that is logical or is it illogical or ill-planned, Ill which potentially could lead to some kind of injury? These are the things that, that I would like to see athletic directors think about a little bit more rigorously so that coaches themselves, who one would hope are keen on self-improvement, actually have tangible ways to improve rather than some numbers that come from this, you know, student-athlete evaluation of them. I think there's, there's better ways to do this. And, and I've worked with an athletic director to develop an evaluation system at the end of the year. It's not my favorite thing, as I said. I, I would like a more systematic way but one of the comments that came back when they sent me the evaluation the first time was, I've had a ton of athletic directors look at it and say, it's awesome. And my first question was, well, look at question one. It, it's misleading. It could be written. I never thought about it like that. Sometimes you need the, the scientist, for a loose term, to come in and, and look and are you getting the results that you really want to get? And if, if you haven't had somebody come in and look at it independently, then you may not actually be getting the results and you may not be able to make that evaluation of the, the coach with the data that you're getting. Uh, the second thing, you're an athletic director, Jake. If you go and watch a coach, does do you think the coach changes the way they coach if they know you're there evaluating? Them? Well, it's a... Uh, um there's a lot that goes into it there. We've already met before that coach has ever hit the floor. And so mm -hmm. the coach knows of our expectations and mm -hmm. that I'm there as a resource. Uh, and again, my message has always tried to be, how can I help you have more fun as a coach? Mm -hmm. uh, and so th that happens before they ever set foot on the floor. So if, if I notice at a practice, I know this is a long answer. <laughs> uh, if a coach is just reaming a kid out or, or something like that, I'm going to catch that coach later on and say, you know, hey, uh, I was at practice today. You know, uh, what, what happened? Uh, and, and just try to find out what's going on. So, uh, again, it's the preventative ADing, I think, uh, helps get rid of some of those potential problems down the road. 
Sure. Yeah. Preventative, the training, the education, the support is, is huge. I suspect though, a coach is less likely to ream out a student athlete when you're there than when you're not there. Would you agree with that? Probably true. Yeah. Okay. And, and there's something called the audience effect and it, it comes from sports psych, which is basically when somebody is watching, you tend to do better, whether that's performance or whether that's fitting within what you're supposed to be doing. What, one of the things that exists in education for teachers, but doesn't really exist in coaching is the independent observation, where it's not, it's not ADJ coming in, it's somebody else coming in and observing and providing an objective evaluation of, look, I don't know who you are, we've never really met, here's what I saw. And, and that provides that kind of almost non-judgmental or performance, uh, you know, somebody putting on a performance for ADJ because that's who's going to be watching me and I know them and they know me. And so, so I really encourage athletic directors to have somebody outside of themselves observe these coaches so that there is that objectiveness rather than you hired them Therefore, intuitively, you may be more inclined to provide them a better evaluation because you may not want to give them a bad evaluation because that could reflect poorly on you. Or you may have to let that, that coach go and now you've got a whole hiring process to go through. I mean, there's, there's so many you know, small strands to this as opposed to, you know what, I'm going to have somebody come in who doesn't know this person and just give me an independent evaluation of what's going on in the coaching. As, as an educator and as a coach myself, and I still coach, I want to be the best I can be. And that means I want people to come in and observe me coach and observe me teach. I, I want to know how I can get better. You know, if I'm an athlete, I will call that a loose term these days because I'm not as young as I used to be. There's a little gray here. But as an athlete, you know, I'm going to compete this weekend. I'm taking my video camera. I'm recording everything I do. Why? Because I want to get better. We would like everybody to have that mentality in our athletic director role. We want our coaches to all have that mentality of growth mindset. Not everybody does. So sometimes you have to provide it for them by coming in and saying, I'm, I'm observing you. I'm, here's some feedback from what I saw. Here's ways you can make your practice more fun or Here's, you know, where you're standing and there's three athletes who can't see your face. So they don't, you know, they don't see your inflection or, or these kinds of things. So, you know, the, just the whole evaluation system, I think it needs to be done more. And I would like to see it done more independently so that there's not that subjectivity going on. Um, the, the second thing that I, I really want to encourage coaches to do in athletic directors to really support is, is changing how practices are run. Now, I spoke at a, uh, to a group of high school coaches just six weeks ago, and, and one of them was, was basically, basically challenged me and said, practices shouldn't be fun, they should be hell. And I, I had to pause because I'm in front of a bunch of people, right? But I thought back to my days and I thought back to my own kids and I thought, man, if I made the sports, my kids play hell, would they want to play? No. Now you might, Jay, because you said it doesn't matter how bad the coach is. You just want to play that sport. But then how many people are like you? Cause I'm, I'm not one of them. I would be like, this is, I don't care enough. I'll go find another sport, but we're, we're pushing people away from our sport. And then are we trying to develop this, you know, tough-minded athlete? There's other ways to do that by getting rid of X percent of your team to just making it miserable. Uh, so can you make practices fun? Can you be creative? So what I did at this, this with these groups of, of coaches is I, I literally went to Target and I went to down the dollar, dollar line and bought a bunch of stuff. And I gave each group some of that stuff and said, okay, now create, create a, an activity from this stuff that involves, you know, physical activity. So we had some balloons, we had a puzzle, we had some, some wire stuff. 
you, you know, you name it. And all of a sudden, these coaches are coming up with creative ways to do wind sprints or creative ways to do the, the um, they did a, um, a wall sit while they had to do the puzzle together. So now you're getting um, the plank, sorry, not the wall sit. They did the plank. So now they're doing a plank, trying to do a puzzle together. And we got some communication going on. We've got a workout going on. And it's not just everybody line up. We're doing a plank for five minutes. What's changed? Nothing. They're still doing the plank. And you're actually getting the added benefit of them doing a mental task while they're being fatigued, which is what would happen in sports. So how, how do we make this fun? You know, the balloons, they came up with this system where they, whoever picked the balloon, it had a number on it. And that was how many of whatever they had to do. They still have to exercise. You could do the same with the deck of cards. Uh, it, you know, there was a tic-tac-toe where they ran and threw the beanbags in the hula hoops to, to do tic-tac-toe while they're running back and forth. They're not thinking about how hard they're running. They're racing against their team and they're mentally challenged while they're being fatigued, which is what happens in sports. We've got to make decisions when we're tired, when we're out of breath. So I, I would like to see coaches try to be more creative to say, you know what, how do, if, if, I'm, if I'm that coach, I think student athletes will want to come into my program. It's a recruiting tool because, oh, Coach Backers, yeah, his practices, they're hard, but we have some fun in those. Versus, you know, Coach X, Y, and Z over here, <laughs> we, it's just brutal. We just suffer every day, right? And he just screams at us or she screams at us. I, I'm not going to sign up for that sport. So, so those are the two things. I think coach evaluation in a, in a way that is designed to, to help the coach rather than judge them and then make practices fun and more interesting because that retains athletes. And it also, if you can add in those, those mental challenges, makes them better at their sport too. Really some great, great ideas. And uh, you know, again, kind of going back to the evaluation part, um, you know, when hopefully an athletic director is hiring their own coaches, sometimes, uh, you know, that coach might get shown to their door by the principal said, Hey, here's your new basketball coach. Yeah. But, um, I kind of alluded to it and I know you believe in it, just meeting with that coach beforehand, you know, having some clear expectations. This is how we roll. Um, you know, the yeller screamer, um, I don't mind if they're yelling and screaming, as long as they're yelling instructions, as long as they're yelling encouragement, um, right. You know, the, the quiet coach or the yeller, I want them to coach the same way. Coach the kids, okay, give them instruction. Uh, but if they know that, and then the other side is, it's not just at the end of the season, it's an aha, you know, sorry, we're going to let you go. Uh, you've met with them and, you know, whatever term you want to use, plan for success, uh, program for improvement. Um, you know, you're going to be there. I'm very lucky as an AD. I, I don't teach. I don't coach. I'm a full-time athletic director. And so I have time to go to those practices and I'm at every single home game, even when we have two or three on the same day at the same time. Uh, and so the coaches are used to seeing me um, not because I'm there looking over their shoulder, but they know I'm there supporting their program. I'm there to protect them. And, you know, what you talked about having the outside people come in, I think it's a wonderful idea. And we, we have that at McClay, but it's not by design. It's just that, you know, we have uh, our parents uh, that are frequently at practices and they're almost always at games and they're not shy about letting me know or sometimes letting my boss know about their perceived um, shortcomings as they observe a coach. So it gives me their perspective. And, and again, something we share with our coaches, uh, the parents are never going to see it the same way you do. Okay, you're looking at it from a team perspective, they're looking at it with their blinders on from their child perspective. And that's what they should do. Okay. It's great if they can be more global, but again, having all those conversations ahead of time so that if a hiccup comes, you know, you're able to hopefully deal with it and help that coach through it and help become better. Um, and if it doesn't work, you just have to say, Hey, we appreciate all your hard work, but uh, um, you know, we're going to move on. So yeah, very great every, stuff. Everybody comes with a specific lens 
right? An athletic director looks through an AD lens at the coach and a parent looks at the coach through their child's, you know, the lens of I have a child in the program. And, and if you can remove that lens, you may find that the coach is able to work with that person a little bit more or a little bit more freely, be, be more open because there isn't that, there's something going on here. There's a relationship here where if I say this, then this may happen. That's, I'm, I want, can I share something that I hadn't planned on sharing? I'm Absolutely, yeah. Okay. So I've been in discussions with, with a, a pro coach. I'm not gonna name the sport, but it's high profile. And we've been talking about the fact that a lot of programs, school, large schools particularly, uh, certainly college and definitely professional, have a sports organization that's large. And within that sports organization, we have all these entities going on, right? We have the, the players, we have the athletes, we have a variety of different support staff whether it be an athletic director or a communications officer or uh, a sports nutritionist or whatever. And we've been talking about the fact that there's in a lot of programs, there's something missing and it's, it's a glue that kind of holds people together and works towards the same thing. Because if we go back to those lenses, you know, you as an AD work from the lens of representing the school or the principal or superintendent, or there's always somebody higher, right? And, and a pro team, maybe the general manager or the owner. And uh, what we've seen is, is almost silos where, you know, I protect me and my coaches or I protect my athletes and uh, the communication breaks down. And coaches in particular don't often have somebody to talk to that is accessible. Now, I'm not talking about a mentor. I'm talking about just somebody to, whose, whose ear they can bend and, and understands their program intimately. The mentorship is, is huge and important, but this is not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about there's, there's a position in these programs I think is missing whose primary job is to support the team. And the team includes everybody involved. And there's no decision-making made by this person. There's no authority given necessarily to this person. It, it, it really is somebody who is there to just support the team and the organization and everybody in it. So we're actually working on an article to, to propose this position. The, the sports organizations consider adding this person into their program who can be that ear where people can just lean on. And maybe they have some experience in the sports or coaching, one would assume where they can offer some advice, but, but it's really there to, to kind of pull everybody together and listen to all sides so that we see a little bit more cohesiveness going on, in, especially in large teams or, or bigger sports organizations. What was the, as you were talking with that pro coach, what was their uh, um, input on that? I, I, I believe the quote was, it's sorely needed let me help you write it. And, and in fact, yesterday I, I spoke with, I, I interviewed William Cohen, the director of player development at women's basketball here at FSU. And I, I said, what do you think about this? And he said the same thing. That would be really helpful. So we're, we're, we're literally proposing a title and like the name of, of this position, what their roles and responsibilities would be, because we think that that this kind of person would really, would really help just, just pull everybody together. And, and right now, especially in large organizations, you have silos of specialties. You know, think about, um, think about a, a football team, even collegiately, you've got your strength and conditioning, you've got your athletic training, you've got your sports psych, you've got your sports nutritionist, you've got your counselor, then you've got all your different coaches and all of them have, their own mission and they may not all agree with each other across those silos and so you get conflict and so who do they go to well they're not going to go to the athletic director because the athletic director may hire them they might not go to the head coach because the head coach may hire them how, how do they kind of get their point across in a way that is 
non-confrontational or how do they get those two groups working together toward the same goal? Maybe the athlete needs to talk to somebody that can't, smaller programs may not have that counselor or that sports psychologist or whoever. They just need to, you know, I'm tired. Um, work, you know, classes are hard. I'm struggling. Um, you know, something's going on at home. This person isn't trained to resolve those issues, but this person can listen. And a lot of times that's what that person needs. Now, you, your use of the term silo is, is spot on. And uh, I'm excited to watch the uh, development of this particular initiative of yours. And it's a great uh, calling out to head coaches and athletic directors to do everything they can to create a culture. And I know you're big on culture um, to create a culture within their program where that silo mentality is less likely to dig in. Uh, I, I think it's always going to be there to a small degree. Yeah, but, of um, being able to have, um, you know, the connectivity, the open-ended discussions, you know, the safe environment, all those cliches that are, that's why they're cliches, they're true. Um, you know, great, uh, great point for ADs. Tim, this has been great uh, catching up with you. Um, and, uh, you know, all the best moving forward, but we're not quite done. Uh, mm -hmm. We always like to wrap up with what we call the new athletic directors toolbox. But I'm going to tweak it just a little bit for you. Um, I'm going to challenge you uh, as you send out your new coaches. Um, what are three things? I'll let you put three things in their coaching toolbox that's going to help them uh, along their coaching journey to work well with their own athletic director. So what are three tools that you would put in your new coach's toolbox? It's a good question. Thanks for prepping me on this one. <laughs> uh, the, the first one is that coaches, coaches need to have the training to be able to do the job that they're hired to do. When, when we set up the program at Oklahoma State, the reason I was able to get it approved at Oklahoma State is because I surveyed the entire athletic director community in Oklahoma. I literally surveyed every athletic director in schools in Oklahoma. This is what we're proposing. What classes should we include? What are important? What, what, is, what do coaches need to know? Would you support somebody who had this training, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And they were overwhelmingly helpful. So many of them participated because if an athletic director is able to hire a coach, you can come in and do what they're supposed to do. Think of how, think of how much easier your job's going to be, right? So that, in, that is, is the first thing is, is make sure that you're trained to be able to do what you're supposed to do. And in, in tandem with that, I would say the second thing is don't be afraid to go and take sport management business type classes because a lot of what a coach has to do is ancillary to what happens on a field or a court or wherever you're competing. Where does most of it happen? You interview any coach, they say, I love it when I'm on the field working with my, my athletes. But that's, most, that's only a small portion of my job. Most of my job is spent recruiting or doing social media posts or working with parents or doing my budgets or booking the hotel rooms or whatever it is they have to do. So don't be afraid to go and get that training in budgeting or that training in, in sport media or sport management. Those are important in today's world of coaching, right? If you go on Twitter, you see so many coaches on Twitter well, some of them provide a lot of positive, resourceful things, and some of them don't. How many of them have actually been trained how to use social media to promote their program and build their, their program? Probably very few of them. Uh, if they have been, it's, it's been one-off, you know, attend a one-day you know, clinic or something like that. So, so that's the, the second component. And I, I think the third thing is to understand the culture of the program you're coming into. So I'm fortunate that I came to FSU and got to start something from scratch, which means I build my own culture, which I love. And I was able to hire my first faculty member 
to make sure that, that she understood the culture that we're trying to build here. But FSU still has its own culture, how they do things, processes that they do, uh, how they communicate, et cetera. The same thing goes if, if you're coming in to, I don't know, let's say field hockey, okay, just for fun, coming into a field hockey program and the coach who's left has maybe left with a lot of baggage attached. If you come in with this approach of this is my way or the highway, how's that going to work? Do you know what happens? Have you talked to the parents who were involved? It, all these things, you have to understand how, how it's done here at this school, at McClay, to understand how I fit into the culture. And those things, by the way, can be asked in the interview. And I'm sure you as a, an AD hiring somebody would be impressed with somebody who came in and talked about, can you tell me a little bit about the culture over the last several years in this program or the culture in the athletic department as to what you value? Now, okay, this person's really thought about this. I'm interested, as opposed to, well, this is just how I'm going to do it. Mm, that may not work here. So, so those are the three things that, that I suggest coaches look at. And, you know, again, athletic directors can take that perspective as well. Great, great advice, okay. And uh, again, I, Really glad that you were able to come on the show today and share it. Tim, one more time for our listeners, if they want to pick your brain a little bit or if they want to find out more about the FSU coaching program, what's the best way to get in touch with you? Sure. Pretty accessible um, on most social media. If you look for FSU coach, we're around everywhere. But my email address is tbaghurst at fsu.edu. You can find me on Twitter at, at baghurst, also on LinkedIn. Uh, the website for FSU Coach is fsu-coach.fsu.edu. And uh, I almost forgot this. Uh, go ahead and share the YouTube channel where they can watch uh, some of your interviews uh, with some uh, really, really good uh, experts in coaching. Uh, or, or athletic directors, right, Jake? That's, well, that's true. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, the goal of FSU Coach Live is to really provide perspectives from sports and sure the focus is primarily on coaches, but we've interviewed athletic directors such as yourself and owners of sports teams and, and you name it, uh, athletes, professional athletes as well. So it's, it's provided a lot of really great insight. Uh, if you just go to youtube.com slash FSU coach live, you should be able to find it. And so far, I think we've got about a hundred interviews that we, we started almost exactly a year ago. So it's, it's been a lot of fun. Yeah. Again, some great stuff. And yeah, there is one particular AD interview you could probably watch. Okay. <laughs> Tim, again, thanks uh, for being on. Um, to our listeners, uh, remember that these interviews are also being uploaded to the FIAAA Educational AD YouTube channel. So check those out. And until next time, thanks for tuning in. Come back again for another episode of the Educational AD.